So this is the time normally in our service where we'll take up our morning tithes and offering and we would have ushers come and pass the plate. Obviously, we're not able to do that today. Uh, often what I will tell individuals to do is, if you are a guest, please do, do not feel obligated to give during this time. But if you are a regular attender, please feel obligated to give during this time. And obviously, there's some humor within that, but there's also some truth within that, as we are called to be faithful in our giving. I do invite you, if you would like during this time, if you wanted to go to our website, and uh, there is a link where you can give, and we encourage people to give, especially if this has become your church during this time of isolation. So hopefully that will be a blessing and an opportunity for you, but also a blessing to the church as you're able to share uh, with the Lord in that way. I want to begin with a word of prayer today. Father, thank you for the privilege of coming together in this way. Thank you for the opportunity for us just to draw near to you. I pray that you would quiet our hearts today. Allow your message to speak to each of us, to encourage us. I pray that this would be a day to not only remember what you have done, but to celebrate what you are doing and what you are going to do in the future. Well, we rejoice over the fact that this is not just some theological idea. This is not just some blind hope, but rather we have a promise of eternal life that was made by someone who has kept every other promise he's ever made. Thank you for the victory that we have in your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray today that you would allow that victory to become a part of who we are. I pray that every day we would be able to walk as those who have truly been redeemed by the grace of your son, Jesus Christ. May you be honored now. Speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, whether you are watching today from YouTube or Facebook or uh, on our church website, let me just say that it is an honor to be able to share this Easter celebration with you. Earlier this week, very early in the morning, I was called out to a suicide scene with the Clemson Police Department. Those are never pleasant experiences, but my role was to bring comfort and calm to one who remained. As we sat and talked for about three hours that morning, my heart kept going back to the finality of death. Once it occurs, nothing remains the same. And I'm not just talking about suicide. When any type of death occurs, it changes everything. People who are integral parts of our lives are no longer there. Loved ones who shared life with us, shared holidays with us, shared responsibilities with us, they are not available to us. It can be heartbreaking. That is, unless we know that death is not the end. Imagine the followers of Jesus as they walked through death. On Friday evening, Jesus breathed his last or so they thought. According to John 19.30, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. At that moment, all their dreams seemed to be crushed. And as Jonathan talked about last week, many of his followers had anticipated a literal revolution as Jesus would set the people free from Roman oppression. Perhaps they saw him as a, a type of Moses coming to set the people free from the oppression of Egypt. But Jesus came to do so much more. Consider the fact that he had already demonstrated himself 
as a world changer. By his powerful teaching, he had changed the mindset of an entire generation. He brought hope where there was nothing but judgment and defeat. With grace, he restored the fallen, reaching into the lives of broken people who have been scarred by poor immoral choices from their own past. With his hands, he touched the sick, the lame, the deaf, and the blind, even raising people from the dead. In a world with few real physicians, Jesus brought the hope of healing in the midst of disease, something that we could certainly use today as well. For all practical purposes, we would look at this 33-year-old man and we would say that his life had mattered. He touched people. He made people believe that there was more out there. He offered them hope where there appeared to be none. But who cares? This man who had come to change the world now lays lifeless in a borrowed tomb. The smell of death would soon fill the air and things would return to normal. Well, sort of. How could the disciples who had left everything to follow Jesus ever return to normal? How could Mary Magdalene ever return to normal? How could Jesus' mother, Mary, ever return to normal? But what none of them understood, at least as of yet, was that God had never intended for things to return to normal. Jesus was about to introduce them to a new normal. Look what happens on that first Easter Sunday morning. The passage is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. John, chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, we read this. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who reached, had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. You know, immediately after this, we see that Mary Magdalene had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus, and he explains to her that nobody had actually robbed the grave. Instead, Jesus had been resurrected, and he is ascending to the Father. And you can almost picture the excitement as she returned to the disciples to tell them what she had seen. They knew her despair. 
They knew her brokenness. Yet all of that seemed to be gone in a matter of moments. She declares, I have seen the Lord in verse 18. Loosely interpreted, what she is saying here is, He is alive. If she were living in this culture, she would have dropped the microphone because she was so excited. And this is the thing that everybody else wanted to see. This was the exclamation point on everything else that had taken place. But this story doesn't begin with great expectations. Instead, it begins with very low expectations. Jesus had been dead since Friday. Because his death occurred so late in the day on Friday, his burial was somewhat rushed. He had not even been buried according to the Jewish customs. Add to this the fact that Saturday was the Sabbath, meaning that it was unlawful to complete the burial custom on day two. Finally, Sunday arrives. Other gospels include the names of others who accompanied Mary Magdalene to the tomb that morning while the Gospel of John only mentions Mary Magdalene. Regardless of who was with her, her intention was clear. She had one purpose in mind. She would give Jesus a proper burial, anointing him with oil and saying her goodbyes. There was no expectation, no idea that the resurrection would take place that morning. Imagine her surprise when she discovers that he is no longer in the grave. Notice that there isn't even a thought of the resurrection, at least at this point. Although she had seen Jesus perform incredible miracles that defied the laws of nature, even demonstrating his own mastery over death, the thought appears to never even cross her mind that Jesus has been resurrected. Instead, even seeing the grave empty, she assumes that his body has been stolen. She runs back to tell her fellow disciples and declare that they have taken the Lord. A part of me wonders how she and the disciples could have been so blind. Did all of the miraculous works of Christ not register in their minds? Did they not know the Old Testament scriptures, the prophetic words of Isaiah chapter 53, which told of the Messiah who would come and bear the sins of all humanity? Did they not know the promise that he offers in Isaiah 53, 11, which says, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities? Did they really not get that he had to die to pay the price for our sins, to redeem all of humanity because we had a problem that we simply could not fix? Did they not get that after paying that price that he would once again be resurrected to life? You know, several years ago, I was playing basketball when I experienced a slight injury. I successfully reached out to steal a basketball from the opposing player. But immediately upon stealing it, I realized that something wasn't right. I suddenly couldn't grip the basketball. 
I looked down to discover that I had dislocated my ring finger. What that means is that typically where the two bones meet up to naturally form the knuckle, they were no longer butting up against each other, but rather they were stacked on top of each other. As disgusting as it looked and as painful as it sounds, it really wasn't that big of a deal, although others didn't want to see it at that moment. I briefly stopped the game and looked at the guy who I'd stolen the ball from, and I got to use a phrase that I had used many times before, but never in a healthy context. I said, hey, can you pull my finger? It should be noted that my friend had no medical abilities. He wasn't a physician or anything like that, but I had no problem with him popping my finger back in place. That's because this really wasn't that big of a deal. Now, if I had cancer, I had heart disease, or maybe even this COVID-19, I would have been a little more careful about who I asked to help me on that occasion. I share that to point out that there are some things that the general public can help us with. Good counseling, good friends, or even our governmental authorities can be great resources to us. But there are other things that only God can fix. Sin is a problem that only God could fix. And through the cross, Jesus became the sacrifice for our sins. But that wasn't the end. He suffered. He still saw the light of life afterwards. Death was not the end for Christ, but rather it was simply the introduction to the next chapter. Another question might deal with Jesus' own prophecies about himself. We're talking about how did, did Mary, did the disciples not get it? Did they not know the scriptures? Did they not know the prophecies which Jesus spoke about himself? Early in John, Jesus talked about destroying the temple and then rebuilding it in three days. And on many occasions, he talks about a resurrection that is to come. Perhaps they thought he only meant a final resurrection. Either way, they certainly didn't expect the resurrection to take place on that day. I've heard people tell me that faith is the key to the miraculous power of God. I get it. Jesus even talked about having the faith of a mustard seed. And if you had that, then you could say to the mountain, be moved, and it would be moved. But I can't help but notice that the faith of Mary Magdalene and even the disciples seem almost completely absent on this particular day. I can think of a couple other times in the New, in the New Testament where we see examples of this where the people didn't fully believe Yet God chose to do miraculous works. Isn't it great to know that God can make up for our lack of faith? Before I go any further, I wonder what expectations you might have for God today. I'm not promising you that God is on the verge of completely removing this virus from our midst. But I do invite you to think big, to have high expectations our world is desperate for God to do something extraordinary and miraculous. I beg of you to turn to the Lord in prayer.
God is truly our only hope. Well, the passage continues, and in it we see a race that suddenly ensues. I will say this is perhaps to me one of the most humorous passages in the Gospel of John. It is a spur-of-the-moment thing between Peter and John. Notice, he, I love the way John describes himself. He is the disciple whom Jesus loved. I'm going to translate what he's actually saying here. I was his favorite. <laughs> I picture a little bit of fun in John's report as to what took place that day. Not only does he get this dig in at Peter that I was his favorite, but then he feels the need to let everybody know that I beat Peter to the tomb. I won the race. And why not have fun? They've just gone through the toughest days of their lives. They've been filled with death and sorrow and disappointment. And in this story, they once again have a reason to smile. But when they get to the tomb, you have to wonder what they expected to find. Assuming that they still believed Jesus' body had been stolen, what were they running so feverishly for? Were they just looking for the truth? Did they really steal his body? <laughs> By the way, that was an actual fear among the Jewish leaders. Matthew 27 tells us that the religious leaders feared that the disciples would steal Jesus' body as a way to magnify this trouble that Jesus had caused. In Matthew 27, 63, they admit that while Jesus was alive, he had declared that after three days I will rise again. So they arranged for guards to stay at the tomb overnight. Wow. It's an interesting thought here. The ungodly religious leaders had more concern over Jesus' promised resurrection than even those who knew him best. Does the world have higher expectations than us regarding the power of God? Another possibility as to why they ran so quickly to the tomb that day may have to do with a feeling of, I would define it as self-pity. They already knew that they had failed Jesus. Remember on the night of Jesus' arrest, earlier that very same week, every one of them had fled for their own lives. Although they had declared their allegiance to Christ, when the rubber met the road, they ran in the other direction. Had they failed Jesus yet again, now allowing someone to steal his body? There's one more thing that stands out to me here. It's found at the end of verse 9 and then into verse 10. Speaking of John, the passage tells us that he saw and believed. I wonder what he believed. Verse 10 tells us that the disciples then went back to the place where they were staying. It's as if they walked back covered with the feeling of defeat, totally demoralized, maybe even a little bit confused. Perhaps he, being John, still didn't get the full story. But rather, he was beginning to realize that God was not finished, that this story was far from over. 
If that is what he believed, then he was correct. Following Mary Magdalene's encounter with Jesus, the disciples would experience one of their own. In fact, Jesus would show up on multiple occasions, twice in a locked room with the disciples, once on the road with two disciples, and again on the seashore with all of them. Mary was not confused, and God was not done with Christ's story. He is alive. So what does his resurrection and life mean? The most important result of Christ's resurrection is found in the promise that death has been defeated. Just as Christ died, we too will all one day die unless the Lord chooses to return prior to that. But death does not have to be the end for you and for me. Just as Christ overcame death, we will too. Jesus talked about a day that would come when the dead in Christ would rise and all of us who are in Christ will be welcomed into the presence of an almighty God, eternal God, where death no longer affects us. Death will never be a concern to any of us again. But his resurrection also points to the fact that we no longer have to fear even in this life. The same disciples who fearfully ran at the arrest and crucifixion of Jesus, would soon be filled with the Holy Spirit, discovering a boldness that they never imagined possible. In Acts chapter 3, verse 15, we see Peter boldly declare the truth about Christ and his resurrection, saying, You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. This doesn't sound like someone who is afraid, yet he is the one who denied even knowing Christ on the night of his arrest. We see that this became a key tenet of the early Christian faith. In Acts 4, verse 33, describing what the New Testament church would be like, it says, With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. The sacrifice and the resurrection of Christ seemed to be all that they talked about. Now I wonder, how often do you talk about the resurrection of Christ? This filled their every conversation. If you talked about the weather, the conversation turned to the resurrection. If you talked about your work, the conversation turned to the resurrection. If you talked about family, the conversation turned to the resurrection. And notice that this was not in angry, judgmental ways. It said that grace, God's grace, was so powerfully at work in them all. God's grace showed up in their generosity toward one another their encouragement, and their prayer in everything that they did as Christ's resurrection becomes a part of your every conversation. Allow God's grace to flow through you. I do encourage you to evaluate what the resurrection means to you. To them, they could not remain silent because it had transformed everything about them. It was their hope. It was the greatest thing in the world. I look around us today and 
seems like every conversation goes to the coronavirus because it's something that has impacted us significantly. Not in a great way, although certainly there have been some good aspects of this. I'll tell you, I've been able to spend more time with my family over the past couple weeks than I probably had over the previous couple months. It's been a great thing in that avenue. But the truth is, it has impacted much in our lives, so we talk about it a lot. Consider the fact that the resurrection has done more than just impact your day-to-day life here. It has impacted your eternity. How can we keep silent about something so beautiful and so important? In closing, let me go back to where I began this morning. As I sat with a young lady whose friend had just committed suicide, my heart broke for her. There was no judgment on my part, just empathy, grace, and hope. My prayer is that through our conversation that morning, that she will come to know the comfort of the Holy Spirit and the grace of a victorious God. Maybe the people you deal with are not in such extreme situations. I don't know, maybe they're in worse situations. I pray that God will use you to point them to the resurrected Christ and all the grace and the hope and the power that is available through him. In order for God to do that, you're going to need to fully grasp what the resurrection means to you first. My prayer is that the resurrection would mean true life and hope and peace in you. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, thank you for the privilege of being able to share with these people today. Thank you for the hope that we find in you and you alone. Father, I pray today that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and that we would be transformed in the way that the disciples were transformed. Help us first to grasp what this resurrection means. Thank you that you sent your son to die, and we know that in the act of crucifixion that you overcame sin. But thank you even more that that was not the end of the story. For in the resurrection, you overcame death. And today... You offer us freedom and life. Father, I pray that each of us would be able to walk as those who have been set free and been made alive. I pray that you would use us to bring this hope and peace to a world that desperately needs healing today. Father, I pray that you would work through us so that people would know that this Christian faith is more than an idea, more than a theology. This is our hope. This is our everything. It's our reason to get up in the morning. It's the reason to press on when things aren't going the way that we think that it should. Father, I pray today that you would truly allow your life to be poured into us, and then allow that life to be poured out through us. May you be honored as we celebrate your resurrection. In Christ's name we pray.
Amen. It is truly a blessing to have you with us today to be able to celebrate Easter, and I hope that you can rejoice just as I rejoice because this is the highlight of the church year. It is the day we celebrate the life that Christ has given to each of us. Thank you for being with us, and I'm going to turn it over to the worship team, and they will close us out this morning. Sing, sing.